The conference is now being recorded. Hello, this is Emma Walsh. I'm here today interviewing Sally McIndoo and she's the Environment and Planning and Practicing Partner of Norton Rose Fulbright. She's the former chair of the firm and in part of her remit is also to look after the global head of diversity and the strategy across the firm for diversity. Sally, thank you very much for joining me today. Pleasure, Emma. And the reason I've asked you here, Sally, to talk to us is really to give us an insight into not only Norton Rose's approach to uh, diversity and thinking about how working parents are supported and, and how we look at creating more family-friendly workplaces, but really to, to understand more globally law's approach to this. We, we know that uh, traditionally law firms uh, perhaps have struggled to be as progressive as they would have liked in relation to helping uh, people manage work and family life and you've got a great story to tell about this and, and certainly great progress that you think has been made that we'd like to hear from. So please Sally, can you start with your story, your own family and career story as we begin so we can uh, tell the audience a bit about you? Well, buckle in Emma. Um, I started my career at this firm, it was a much smaller firm of only 12 partners and Melbourne based when I started in 1990. Um, but I went through my paces, uh, I got married and I had my first child when I was uh, a senior associate at the firm. Um, and I started working flexibly when I came back from my first child. The firm was supportive of that, I think it was a matter of working the way I needed to and as a senior lawyer it was a bit easier because I still needed to be accountable but I didn't have to ask for permission necessarily in the way I worked. So I tried a few different things, I started off three days, I found that working four days worked much better for me um, because people could cope with me not being in the office for one day in the middle of the week whereas they would panic if it was three days in a row tacked onto a weekend for example. Um, I was made a partner when I was pregnant with my second child. Uh, that was not an easy process and I had two attempts to be honest to get up to partnership but um, I made it and uh, had my second baby. What I hadn't expected uh, was that my marriage failed unfortunately when my second was only 12 weeks old and um, I just hadn't seen that coming. I was suddenly looking down the barrel of trying to bring up two children who at the time were 12 weeks and two years old, uh, not unsupported by their dad but it was going to look completely different and around the same week, believe it or not, the partner I had sort of been building up the fledgling planning and environment practice with at the firm rang me to say he was leaving to take his practice to another firm. So. My world kind of crashed on two fronts and the third phone call I took that week which I wasn't sure if I should take or not was from our then managing partner and he asked me to come in and see him. I thought it was about what was going on but he wanted me to take over the, the leadership of our area of practice nationally and I explained to him why that was not possible and what was going on and he just sat back and said you're the right person for the job, it's possible, you can work whatever way you want, we'll support you and he was true to that. Um, it actually helped me to come back to work early and put some structure around me 
my kids were in a creche in the city, Kids on Collins, which was fantastic because they were close to me, but it was a crazy time and I remember trying to express milk um, in my office. Guys in fluoro bike vests would come and pick up the warm milk and take it straight to the baby at Kids mm -hmm. on Collins and um, the whole thing was a bit crazy, but we got through it. Uh, and. Over the next few years, I continued to work um, the way I needed to work and flexibly um, as uh, technology got better, that got a bit more manageable, but it was still challenging. Uh, but what I really noticed that was that my practice was growing and um, actually I was continuing to grow and progress my career and build up to equity. Um, and if I reflect on how that was occurring, uh, I had had to learn, I had no choice about the way I was working. I had to be open with my clients, I had to empower people, I had to delegate work. As far as I was concerned, the faster my talented lawyers could gain the confidence of my clients and keep things ticking along, the better. In circumstances where I found some of my uh, partners had insecurities about that and felt if you empowered your senior associates too much then they might leave the firm and take the client relationship with you. Uh, there were other women working flexibly that didn't want their clients to know that and used to sort of um, ask their secretaries to manage the situation, say they were in a meeting and then they'd call their client back when baby wasn't crying or, or whatever. And I just found by being really open and having good communication skills with my clients and my team and my staff, it really worked. And if the clients did have to ring me on the day I was uh, working from home, it's not a day off by the way, it's your day on, it's the busiest day of your life when you're trying to juggle uh, home life. I admire any full-time working mother because I come into work to rest. Um, but uh, you know, I used to just find that uh, the client would always apologise when they rang me and always feel super served if I helped them on that day compared to being kind of annoyed that you weren't accessible. So over those years I worked through that. In about 2005 my managing partner came in and encouraged me to stand for our board and that had never occurred to me. To be honest, the board was the domain of the corporate partners pretty much and they were always male. There'd never been a woman on our board. I thought about it and I thought, well, what is there to lose? It's a secret equity, a secret ballot of equity partners and the worst that can happen is they don't vote me in. So I put my hat in the ring and um, I was voted in and, and that was an incredible feeling. Uh, it was an empowering feeling and I felt that our partnership really wanted to uh, support women. No one could say I was a token appointment or anything and not long after that, the managing partner asked me to do something about the very low representation of women at senior levels of our firm. At the time I think we are about 9%. Um, so I pulled together a group of men and women and we in a very ill-informed, untrained, basic fashion uh, sort of looked at some of the obvious things and prepared a list of people that we should target and nurture and support and we got uh, the female partners up from 9% to about 15 or 16% for memory by about 2009. But at that point, we knew we needed to get more strategic about it. Um, it was around that point that I was elected as chair or appointed as chair of the firm and we got some dedicated and trained diversity and inclusion support to work with me and 
and got serious about strategy, developed our programs and um, yeah, we've managed to today get to 30% and we've got a target of 35% by 2020 which is going to be a real stretch but it's, uh, it's been a relentless amount of work but a real uh, rewarding journey. I came out of the boardroom in uh, 2012 but I've continued to lead diversity and inclusion. It's something I'm really passionate about. Um, and then I was asked if I would uh, extend that remit to try and uh, sort of lead the discussion at the senior level in the firm globally. And so here we are today, Emma. Yes, having this conversation. Sally, there's no doubt that you know, you're, you've been a trailblazer with what you've achieved. It's been obviously remarkable, some of the highs and lows around your career and life you've had to navigate. And there's no doubt that uh, there would have been some really tough times where you would have had to really dig deep around what am I doing? Is this working? And you know, and a lot of moments where um, perhaps that questioning, um, am I am I good enough? Is this going to work? How's this? How am I going to um, take it to the next level? Um, you've done that. International Women's Day this year is all about pressing for progress, and in hearing your story, really to me, that's exactly what you've done, not only for your own progression, but obviously for others, and that being a big part of what drives you now. So tell me, as, as you reflect on your own life story, as you, you've just told it, um, what do you think has, you know, do you see shifting around law? Because as I said, I'll start with this. Traditionally, law has been notorious for being unfamily friendly and uh, not being supportive enough to, particularly for women. Um, so how do you see the law firms um, and law industry more broadly responding and adapting to these changing needs? And you know, how progressive enough are these changes? Look, it's a big question. Um, and I think if we wind back a bit, change and cultural change uh, requires passion, patience and leadership. And yes, it doesn't it happen does easily and you need to make sure that in taking people on that journey that people understand why it matters is the starting point. And um, a, a number of years ago and around that time in 2009 that I told you about that we'd sort of stalled, one of my great friends in partnership and, and a great champion of women's careers said to me one night, you know, I think it's great what you're doing, but I'm really not confident that this is all good for your reputation, this gender thing, you know, and you really need to think about it. It's, is it in your best interest? You put so much mm. into it. And yeah. I went home that night and thought, if he doesn't get it, then the business is not understanding why this matters. They're thinking it's a social policy issue mm. that's important and right to do, which it is, equality, mm. but they're not seeing why it matters to our business. So the first step mm. we needed to really do was try and change the conversation, Emma, and mm. said about um, how we did that, but uh, that's another half hour conversation with you probably, but I'm really proud of mm -hmm. the fact that we did change the conversation and um, I think that the firm and the leadership, and by that I mean the entire partnership, really gets now why it's so important for our business to get diversity and inclusion right. and. Um, you know, if we want to attract and retain the best talent, 
then we need to make sure we create a working environment where that talent can thrive. And it's not just for women, it's for men, it's for parents, it's for people with carer responsibilities and we have an economic need to retain and provide mm. pro and promote female talent or we're never going to achieve the economic targets that we all need to. So you have to get that bit right to then try and get the law firms to think differently and I suppose there's many layers and there's many things you can do but um, and there's many things that should be doing, but if they're not embraced and understood and supported by the senior managers and the partners, then you're going to get inconsistency and you're going to get blockages. And mm. one of the big things in that is flexibility and agile working, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and to manage people that have the need to work flexibly does take a little bit of investment of time and bothering to get your head around the way somebody's working because to make that successful you need to think about timing and delegation of tasks and when you give it and I think when we talk about law firms being notoriously bad I just think or unfamily friendly I just think that historically the senior levels have been dominated by men who are working under a high stress pressure environment that are just trying to get through their day. I know what it's like and when they go to delegate something and you're not there, they throw their hands up in the air and say, well, this doesn't work. <laughs> but what <laughs> they've got to do is find the time to be a bit more organised and forward thinking than, than that. And so mm. we talk about flexibility as a three-way street, or I do, because it's got to work for the individual but it's got to work for the business and it's got to work for the team around the individual. And if you don't work on all three aspects of it, then you're kind of setting it up to fail. Um, mm. And we do a lot of work in this space. And uh, to get the partners to invest the, the time in getting their head around how to manage flexibility, they need to understand how much extra time it costs them and takes them to generate the revenue to replace lost talent. Um, mm. You know, that's one mm. of the easy ways to go around it. But at our mm. firm, I think all the partners are accepting of it, but there's still this tendency to want the instruction book and say, just tell me how to do this and I'll do it. And mm. the problem is there's no one size fits mm. all. Every that's right. working arrangement's different because of whatever reasons are causing the need for it. Mm. Mm. It's about flexible and agile thinking too, really, isn't it? And that's what you're Definitely. referring to. And because I think for so long, um, when I you know look back and I, I have an HR practitioner's background too, is that it was all about oh if we just implement a good policy or a good initiative, tick job done. Um, but actually, fundamentally, what we're talking about, as you say, is it's about culture change. Um, it's about having a different conversation in a different way. Um, it's you can have all the good um, policies and perks in the world. But at the end of the day, if they um, don't uh, aren't in the DNA of how an organisation thinks and lives and breathes, then um, they'll only ever get um, what I call um, short-term um, kicks. You know, they'll only ever be short-term benefit from it rather than the long-term. Um, I think that's right. And you know, yeah. we need to get better at working differently. But lawyers aren't great at innovation. <laughs> and they're very <laughs> risk adverse 
Um, and so change and doing things differently causes a great deal of gnashing of teeth and worrying and you know talking it through. But um, I think the what is happening to legal services industry, not just in Australia but globally, is rapid change and disruption. And the way yeah. we practice law in four years' time compared to the way we're practicing it now is going to be fundamentally different. And I believe there's a huge opportunity to embrace that disruption and to also look at the innovative ways that we might structurally change the way we practice law that will create a more inclusive environment and more options for people mm. that need to work in different ways. Yes. And so let's explore that a little bit more. I mean, from your perspective, your own your personal opinion, you know, what do you think legal firms need to do more of or, or better in the future? Um, to attract men, well, women and men, you know, and to retain them through their their caring stage of life in particular um, when they become parents. Yeah, so it's a good question. I give lots of thought to it because you know I think we're improving all the time. We have a lot of programs now at Norton Rose Fulbright, and they really are, I think, all helping to shift the dial, albeit slowly. Um, and I can talk more about them and obviously the work you do coaching our senior staff when they're returning to work and the help there, that's something we get great feedback about in our career strategies program which is sort of bespoke and tailor made for senior women to help them and support them with their careers which are often being combined with parenting responsibilities is going mm. really well. But if we're talking major change and major disruption. Um, I think we're going to be having conversations around the role of partner and um, what the expectations are for criteria for partnership and potentially having different types of partners and you know we've all mm. talked for years about the old billing systems in law firms and they're difficult mm. to change but when you get to team based outcomes um, mm. it's going to look different and I think things are already moving to that and I think we're seeing in Australia and globally much more innovative solutions to litigation management. There's a combination of technology. I think it's a lot less um, necessary for people to be present. A lot more can be done from anywhere really. Um, you know I often say to partners you talk about being worried about lack of face-to-face -face time and things like that and yet you're working on planes, trains, automobiles and all around the world you're still <laughs> keeping it moving over. I mean Really, mm. we can have conversations face to face on phones and computers and all those things if we need it. So I think you're going to see you know, different options. What I don't want to happen is to see, we're seeing a lot of um, innovative businesses, a lot of them being started by female lawyers where they're willing yes. to do contract work and really to take yeah. on these SWAT teams and, and that's great. They're part of the options that are now available but you wouldn't want a situation where everyone that needs flexibility for carer responsibilities, whether it be elder care or children mm. care or partner care or whatever, gets slotted in the sort of expanding and contracting contract workforce. My yes. thinking is yes. about how do we retain and create and promote talent in within the firm itself and up to leadership positions to get that diversity in the leadership ranks. So. 
um, uh, you know, we're having strategic discussions about that now and I'm quite excited about having a, another conversation in four years' time to see what's happened. Yes. Well, that's right. I mean, it's interesting you, you talk about the, you know, uh, the, if you like, small business um, mind of women and just, you know, there are more, most small businesses in this country are run by women and certainly, um, you know, women, uh, professional women, who actually are reaching reasonably senior positions in organisations, but for whatever reason are seeing that that last hurdle, whether it be make it to partner or, or whatever their next senior role might be in their organisation, um, are seeing that that um, next step is just too hard and it's easier for them to step out and run their own business um, or their own practice. And, and there's obviously been an increase, of, you know, and it continues to be an increase of that. But you're quite right that um, that is also a question, um, a bigger, a broader question for us as an economy to asking to ask ourselves: is that is that an effective solution to the problem? And you know, different strokes for different folks. And you know, for some of those people, you know, it's it's quite right and appropriate. And you know, starting their own business is absolutely for them. However, there are so many that are doing it because they don't think they're going to get the flexibility they need at the next level, whether it be as a chairman or whether it be as a partner. Um, and so what do you think needs to be done to help those women that just are um, what I call a, a few rungs below that really, really senior role that they're too scared to take on? Um, well, I think know. there's a combination of things. Um, one of the yeah. things I'm passionate about is men mainstreaming flexibility is one of the next frontiers. Yeah. I think the more yeah. we can see our leaders demonstrating flexibility and we are starting to see it um, through some of the high profile CEOs in this country, both men mm. and women are starting to openly talk about and demonstrate what they're doing and the way they're working to accommodate um, mm. life outside of work. So that's one of the uh, things that's really important in this. Um, I've just lost my train of thought as to the second well, thing I was we'll going to mention to you. But well, let, let me um, help you give you a moment for a minute. I agree with you. Unless we see this normalised between men and women, both you know, taking time off to care for children by working flexibly, we're only about going to ever solve half the gap. <laughs> And, and I think, you know, how we uh, look to really create gender equality in the workforce has got to be looking at, you know, gender equality at home too and how we help um, individuals combine the two so that they, they see that they don't have to go and start their own business to actually make that possible. I mean, the amount of people I do speak to that think, you know, even um, talking to me and um, you know, me owning my own business and, oh, that must be great, you know, all the flexibility and you don't have a boss and you don't need to worry about all that stuff. Um, but there's certainly lots of other things to worry about when you run your own business and it isn't necessarily the right answer, as I said, for everybody. So I think for organisations to really be thinking about, no, how do we find, create a home here so that when people leave their home, um, their home with their families and they come to the home at work, that there is a seamlessness about it 
and um, they are able to be themselves and, and look after everything in their lives at work. And that is part of the nub of it, I think, Emma, is being able to be who you are. And I think that's what diversity mm. and inclusion is all about. You can't thrive yeah. unless you're who you are. And yeah. um, there used to be this kind of culture about you don't talk about your home and your family and your children in the workplace. Well, let me tell you, that's once right. I started being a working mother and partner, every male client and partner wanted to talk to me about their children, but they wouldn't talk to each other about them. <laughs> it used to drive me nuts. <laughs> um, but you know, I think that's changed a lot. But I think what we were talking about before and the mainstreaming, the role modelling, the other aspect to it that I had lost my train of thought about before was sponsorship. And mm. we really need to intervene with those that are starting to think this could all be too hard and yeah. sponsor them. And the way uh, professional services firms are structured and their remuneration doesn't always create incentives to do that well. Um, if you always judge somebody on their individual client book and base, mm. Um, mm. then there can be a bit of a conflict of interest in really sponsoring somebody that thinks it's going to be difficult to help them mm take the next step and some people mm. just do it naturally because that's who they are. Some people mm -hmm. do it like I did because that's what I absolutely had to do because I couldn't do it all myself and others really struggle with it because they can't see what's in it for them and so I think um, sponsorship is incredibly important. It's creating equal opportunity. It's ensuring that women get and working parents get the same opportunities as full-time mm. working men and working smart. Um, and we need to, as part of our thinking about structuring the profession, ensure that we have uh, things set up in a way that aren't a disincentive to create those opportunities. That's right. So lastly, I guess your advice to women and men, you know, wondering how they can balance career and family life in 2018 and beyond. You know, what are your top tips? You, not only have you, um, I, I think, obviously very much reached your career potential and beyond. You've perhaps done things beyond the, what you ever imagined when you started, started out your career. Um, but how do you maintain it? You know, Ariana Huffington talks so much about um, this piece around how do you continue to thrive as you, you manage work and family life. It's one thing to get there. Your, to that dream job that you always um, hoped you'd get to, but how do you maintain it? Your final tips on that. Right. First one, passion and patience. You've got to love what you do. Yes, if you wake up hating what you do, it's not going to work and you need to rethink it. Uh, the second one, uh, drop the guilt and delegate everything you possibly can. I could have a staff Christmas party this year with the odds job man and the gardener and the cleaner and the kids helper and all the rest of it. You know, you just and and within work an army. So delegate and don't feel guilty. Your kids are going to be all the better off for the fact that you've worked and set that example for them. Mm. Um, and the last thing I would say is I actually don't think there is any such thing as balance. Um, you just got to embrace the chaos, and if you love what you do, you can. <laughs> oh, well said. I think every family member, you know, family um, unit here listening would uh, attest to that. Uh, no day is ever the same in a family household, is it? Um, Nothing's ever straight. <laughs> 
even though we try to batten down the hatches when we have the best laid plans for having a fabulous week and we're feeling super organised, um, you can uh, certainly rest assured that something will go awry and you will need to lean into it and um, manage it. Um, Sally, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Um, I think you have, um, ironically, still an amazing career ahead of you. <laughs> this journey doesn't sound like it's over for you <laughs> by any means. I'm exhausted. <laughs> but, um, thanks, Emma. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much, Sally. All the best for International Women's Day. And to you.